following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. And the second reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, starting at verse 28, and can be found on page 1054. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Naomi. Well, Palm, um, Palm Sunday greetings to, to everyone. Uh, if you were Luke, you might say uh, Cloak Sunday greetings. Uh, only John's Gospel mentions uh, palms. It's good to be, gather, uh, to, to be together uh, this morning to share uh, it, at the beginning of Holy Week as we look at uh, Jesus entering uh, Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that through your spirit, you would speak words of life to each one of us. Amen. Uh, Today, I've brought along what you might call uh, an alternative congregation. Uh, It's really a backup in case we need some help in responding in praise as we look again at this story, these stones. As we see Jesus, to us the saviour of the world, riding on a borrowed donkey down from the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem. And I'll explain these stones a little later. I'm sure many of you know the story well. In verse 39 we find the religious purists of the day, the Pharisees, asking Jesus to silence followers who were praising him. The last thing they wanted was people following someone who questioned the established order, the existing power structure. 
someone who challenged their authority, who rocked the boat. There was no way that the Pharisees could just let a crowd of ordinary people identify Jesus as the promised Messiah, a crowd who were willing to take up some ancient and much-loved themes and words, some of which we've read from the psalm, and apply them to Jesus. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. To the Pharisees, Jesus was challenging the religious order that had been there for centuries. So their message to Jesus was clear. Quieten the crowd down, rebuke them. And the reply comes back to them from Jesus. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will, will cry out. Quite a claim. It would be difficult, wouldn't it, to think of anything more inanimate, more unresponsive, less likely to cry out than stones. Yet Jesus is saying even stones would have voiced their praise if the crowd had not done so. Stones that had been silent for million of, millions of years, stones that had seen a thing or two, coming to life for the first time and breaking their silence to praise the Messiah. So we have our backup congregation. I hope it's not activated uh, this morning. For me, the image of stones praising God is a powerful one. It somehow puts into sharp focus the overwhelming, astounding, unique, world-changing claims of Jesus as the one sent by God. And note, by the way, that Jesus doesn't protest when the crowds acclaim him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, you might think that Jesus' words about these stones borders on the arrogant or delusional. Yet for Christians, they take us to the heart of the good news of Jesus. He is the one sent by God to bring in his kingdom, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And if no one recognizes that, then even the stones will be forced to cry out. Fortunately, outside Jerusalem that day, the stones aren't needed. As Jesus rides down from the Mount of Olives, Luke tells us that the whole crowd erupts in praise, joyfully and loudly. Now, I guess the nearest I've ever got to that kind of united, joyful noise is on the terraces of the Stadium of Light when the home team scores. A glorious celebration, heartfelt, jubilant, outpouring of praise doesn't happen very often at Sunderland. So why did the crowd respond to Jesus that day in the way in which they did? Luke gives us an interesting clue in verse 37. Their praise wasn't driven that day by a mental assent to a list of intellectual propositions about Jesus, but by their lived experience of the impact that he had had on their lives and on the lives of others, by the miracles they had seen. They had seen Jesus at work. And yes, of course, assenting with our minds to the great truths of our faith has an important role to play, especially when times are tough. But our lived experience of God's transforming goodness and love is also vitally important, a very good reason to share testimony with one another, to encourage one another. 
I don't know if any of you watched the Thanksgiving service for the Duke of Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago. But if you did, you would have heard someone called Doyen Sonabori, her moving story of how the Duke's award had transformed her life and given her opportunities and challenges that she would not otherwise have had. Yes, the description of the award, the Duke of Edinburgh Award, looked very, very good on paper, but its effect was to change Doyen's life in a big way, and it was wonderful to hear it. Let the evidence of God's goodness and transforming work in our lives and the lives of others be a key part in our praise. Many that day would no doubt have made the connection with Old Testament prophecy too, with the image from Zechariah of the king riding on a donkey. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Perhaps that's why Jesus deliberately chose a donkey to make that connection. Some in the crowd too would have been aware of the significance of the Mount of Olives as the place where Zechariah says that God would begin his work of deliverance. Perhaps these things fit together as Jesus approaches Jerusalem. It all hangs together. And as we look back on that day from today's generation, we have even more reason to praise God because we know what happens to Jesus after his entry into Jerusalem. We know of his willingness to go to the cross for us, to be falsely accused, to suffer as an innocent man, to die for our sins and then to rise again. We know from the previous chapter that even as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he knew he was going to suffer, to be mocked, insulted, spat on, flogged and killed. It makes that journey all the more remarkable. Jesus knew something of what lay ahead, yet here he is, the saviour of the world, dignified and measured, riding not on some magnificent horse without riders, but on a borrowed donkey towards the place of his suffering and doing it because of his great love for you and for me. How can I do anything other than join in the praise? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I'm struck by the contrast between the noisiness of the crowd as they erupt in praise and the silence of Jesus. Apart from his request to two of his disciples to find his uber donkey at the beginning and his rebuke to the Pharisees, he says nothing to his disciples, or at least nothing is recorded. His next words in Luke are said as he weeps over Jerusalem. This is hardly the image, is it, of a powerful, charismatic leader. Yet there's something about this man his character, his demeanour, his manner that has something fundamental, fundamentally attractive to say to us that causes us to praise him to make these stones redundant. And I want to spend the last few minutes of my time thinking about some of the characteristics of Jesus that day that would cause us to overflow with praise. The first is his obvious humility Yes, he's God's chosen one, 
but there are no outward trappings. He arrives on an untrained, borrowed donkey, sitting on borrowed coats and no doubt led by others. There's no promotion of status or deference here. Many years ago, a former Archbishop, uh, Michael Ramsey, published some of his sermons to those about to be ordained. It's a book that I often go back to. It's a great book. Although it was addressed to ordinands, it's really for all of us. And one of the chapters is about humility, divine humility. And in it, Ramsey reflects on how the sense of God might be recovered in our land. He mentions things that continue to occupy us today. More reality in worship, more contemporary language, more facing of intellectual problems in our faith, more expression of theology in social action, more rediscoveries of truth. And we might add, in our day, more emphasis on mixed economy approaches to church. All really good things to explore and a high priority. But then Ramsey goes on and he says this, Yet there is only one kind of person who makes God known and realised by other people, and that is the person who is humble, because he knows God and knows God because he is humble. There's no substitute for this. It's only a humble priest, a humble person, who is authoritatively a man or woman of God. Now, clothing ourselves with humility is a big challenge, isn't it? Uh, we have so, such mixed motives. Yet there is a blessing, a wonderful blessing, that flows from it, not only for others, but for those who seek it. God shows favour to the humble, says Peter. And if we're humble, he will lift us up. Let's always remember that humility lies at the heart of our gospel. Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Now, humility, of course, doesn't mean that we shouldn't have ambitions to do things well or that we should be timid. Let's remember that it's not long uh, after, the, after Jesus rides into Jerusalem that we find him in the temple courts, a place where he condemns and drives out those traders who were exploiting uh, worshippers. His language is uncompromising there. These sellers have made the temple courts a den of robbers. Yet the challenge remains of everything we do being embraced by the humility of Christ. So his humility. The second is the nature of his power. Mark Oakley has reminded us that as Jesus approaches Jerusalem from the east, there would have been another procession coming from the west. Pontius Pilate, whose headquarters were in Caesarea on the coast, would be making his way to Jerusalem to make sure that the city was trouble-free during the festival of Passover, to reinforce the Roman garrison there that overlooked the temple. And his procession would have been a very high-profile event with all the imperial trappings, cavalry and soldiers, armour, golden eagles, a demonstration of the emperor's worldly power, power that uses force, might, fear, power exemplified for us recently by that huge, ugly military column of guns, 
tanks and soldiers massed outside Ukraine. The contrast with the man riding on a donkey couldn't be greater. Jesus, is speak, Jesus speaks of God's kingdom of love, justice and peace, of service, of humility, of God's reign, of the end of evil. And as we look around in the world of politics and business, and yes, the church, we so often see the wrong type of power being exercised, bullying, cover-up, abuse. Jesus points us to a power that is rooted in God's love and his good purposes. So praise God for the humility of Jesus. Praise God for what he shows us about his power. And finally, praise God for the way he reveals his trust in God, even in the face of overwhelming odds. Jesus would have had a real sense of foreboding about what lay ahead, yet he continues on to Jerusalem as steadfastly as a lamb led to the slaughter. This is his destiny. This is God's purpose for him. This is why he came. As the old chorus puts it, all the way to Calvary, he went for me. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he shows us his ultimate trust in God. And there will be few of us who have not experienced trial or crisis or suffering or sadness in our lives. Perhaps very recently, perhaps we're going through it now, we may have found ourselves at breaking point, not knowing where to turn. We're overwhelmed in darkness. We wonder where God is. Yet the ultimate witness of the scriptures and of millions of Christians down the ages is of a faithful God who will follow his good and loving purposes for us and his world and who gives us his Holy Spirit to see us through to enable us to see Christ beside us. And that gift is often expressed practically by our brothers and sisters surrounding us with love and support. So on this Palm Sunday, may God help us all to celebrate once again Jesus' entry into Jerusalem to be more truly humble, more ready to express God's power through expressing his love and more trusting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.